All right, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of The Compliance Guy. My name is Sean Weiss, and as always, I want to say thank you so much to each and every single one of you that is taking time out of what I know is an extremely busy schedule to tune in, listen in, and spend some time with me and my special guest uh, to hear what it is that we're actually talking about. And today, it is really uh, a pleasure for me to be able to welcome a very special guest to the show. Uh, this is a gentleman who I've been trying to get on the show and, and figure out scheduling for a period of time. And <clears throat> excuse me, it's just always seemed to, uh, you know, with, with his schedule and everything that he's going on. And I think y'all are going to be extremely impressed uh, with this gentleman's background. And, and really, um, I've had a chance to just get to know him. Uh, uh, briefly, but I feel like he and I have known each other for 20 years. Uh, we seem to have been able to find some good chemistry, and I'm pretty certain that's going to carry over into the podcast today. So my very special guest is Dr. Matthew Kalinske. Uh, Dr. Kalinske is an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, and a physician who is proficient in hospital as well as the business world. And you know, I always tell people that, you know, my show is about the business of medicine and the intersection of regulatory compliance. And I think we have a lot of things that we're going to talk about today. And, and, and you know, as a lot of you know me, um, there's not many topics that I shy away from. And, you know, I did say to Dr. Kulinski uh, just a little while ago, is there any topic off limits? Uh, do you have any concerns about talking about certain things? And he's like, Nah, man, hell no. Let's go for it. Let's bring it, do this. bring it, bring it. That's 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 the way it's going to go. So I, I'll give a little bit more introduction to Dr. Kalinsky as we sort of move throughout today's podcast. Uh, I told Dr. Kalinsky, as I tell everybody, I am nothing more than a bus driver. I am the vessel to get us from point A to point B or Z and all the points in between. And he's going to be our navigator today. But <clears throat> I do want to share with you the fact that he uh, completed his residency in both internal medicine and pediatrics at the Medical College of Wisconsin. So as they say up in Boston, he's wicked smack. Uh, <laughs> he has a central focus on optimizing patient care. And now for the past 10 years, he has worked in medical clinics, private practices, and hospital organizations. I could probably go on for the next 30 minutes just talking about this gentleman's background. Um, but I want to go ahead and and... and get Dr. Kalinske uh, uh, involved in the show right now, and we're going to start talking about a lot of these things um, as we move throughout the program. As always, I have turned on the chat feature, so if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please don't hesitate, as always, and I will tolerate the comments as they come in. So, Dr. Kalinske, Welcome to the Compliance Guy podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I know it's taken a while to get this thing on the books, but it's finally here. You're with us, and, and I'm grateful uh, to be able to sit down and spend some time with you. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we're able to finally get this scheduled myself. <laughs> yeah, I always love when people say it's an honor to be on your show, and then I ask them at the very end, 
do you still feel like it was an honor? <laughs> so, What's the normal uh, answer on that one? <laughs> this was the greatest experience I've ever had. I can't okay, wait to, I to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, again, today, you know, I wanted to introduce you. Um, and is it all right if I just call you Doc? No, or Matt. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no, you are a doctor, so I'm going to show you that respect. But uh, Doc may roll off the, the, the lips a little easier. Um, You know, so I want to introduce all my viewers and listeners to you because I believe that we're honestly at a point in time where we need to truly reassess and find a way to, and I'm going to steal your term, re-engineer our work um, and life balance. Uh, Because honestly, from demanding work schedules to responsibilities at home, um, you know, we, we often lose sight of ourselves and those that we care most about. And we wind up sacrificing our health, our happiness, our sanity. But after reading your book, which I I really enjoyed it, and and we're going to talk about that. um, I believe, I really do. I I believe there is hope for us. And that is what I really want to spend time discussing with you today. Well, I believe there's hope as well. So we're on the same page there. <laughs> you know, um, as I said, Dr. Kalinsky, um, you know, coined a phrase re-engineering. And I know it's, it, the term has been around, right? There's, there's a d- definition for the term re-engineering, and, and we'll get into all of that. But one of the things that I actually learned uh, from reading your book, and, and, and the book for everybody who's listening, and I always get questions about, hey, what are you reading and what's really in your coffee cup? Is that coffee? Um, This is actually, believe it or not, this is Pete's Coffee Holiday Blend. Uh, Uh, It it is. Uh, My wife is like this coffee aficionado and coffee junkie. Um, You know, so I I just drink what she sends me, um, you know, or what she orders. But I, I, I am a huge fan of Invader Coffee. Uh, their bacon bourbon blend, man, I'll tell you what, if you're hungry and craving something to settle you down, it's a great blend. (laughs) Um, but Dr. Kalinsky's book is work, passion, life balance. And, you know, it, it really focuses on how to recognize and change, correct me if I'm wrong, the five components consisting of business strategy, process, technology, organization, and culture. Can I just make a small change? Please, please. <laughs> so the book is about the philosophy of living in, right. in, the, in the present with the relationships in your life. Reengineering the business of healthcare is this new platform that I started in July that's really focused on kind of the healthcare side. Um, but the book talks about the personal journey I've had over 11 years, not only going through med school and experiencing life, not only in med school, but residency and afterwards, but it's the relationships I developed and, uh, you know, work, passion, life balance to me is separated into three types of relationships. And it's about how do you find that zones of efficiency to maximize your life satisfaction? And so it all plays in the role in terms of personal health but also social health and, you know, everything that involves you as a person. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's really interesting to take a look back over your 
collegiate career and also to take a look at your entrepreneurship. Yep. And, you know, a lot of physicians are entrepreneurs, right? Because they start their own business, you know, they expand into ancillary services, durable medical equipment, sure. diagnostics, things of that nature. But you actually started and created while you were going through your undergraduate program, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you attended Loyola University in Chicago, right? I did. Go Ramblers. There you go. Go Ramblers. Uh, I would say go go Seminoles, um, but we, we, we were upset by Notre Dame uh, last week. But hopefully this week, we'll turn it around. But, um, you know, as I was learning about you, one of the things that I learned was that you you started to create businesses while you were in your undergrad program and while you were learning about uh, microbiology and anatomy and chemistry and all of these science-based courses, um, you were actually involved in creating a staffing business, if I'm not mistaken. That's very true. Yeah, I've been in human capital management now for a long time. And to me, you know, it started out as just trying to find ways to make money. I come from a Polish uh, background and I've been working jobs, you know, two or three jobs in the summer ever since I was in high school. And so I was, when I was in college, I saw the opportunity to help people write resumes. Um, I was in a fraternity and my older, you know, the, the seniors uh, it, were having trouble writing their own resumes. <laughs> Don't ask me why, but, but I helped them and I would charge them. And what turned into a resume writing business kind of graduated into a recruiting business while I was still in undergrad. And and it kind of led me to um, stay in the staffing and human capital management space um, since 2006. And so I started my first real business in 2006 uh, when I was uh, getting into medical school. Got it. So in addition to having investments in human capital organizations, you've actually started a number of your own businesses. I have. Um, and you also sit on a couple of different boards of companies, if I'm not. Okay. Good. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I haven't been I haven't been corrected yet. So I, I, I've done I've done my homework. I've done my my research to make sure I, I, I don't embarrass myself, at least at this point. <laughs> but, you know, I, so I always find it fascinating because you you have not slowed down on your medical practice. Right. You're still doing telehealth, which is a big, big part of medicine. Right. Uh, especially with the, the COVID-19 pandemic that we entered into in 2020 and that we continue to go through right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're also engaged in uh, providing hospital services and other uh, medical services. So talk about that, if you would, please. Sure. So in medical school, I was primarily a medical you know, student and I was doing the business on the side, nights and weekends, running payroll, recruiting, you know, anything I could do outside of kind of the studying hours. When I went into residency, um, I continued to grow the business. And ultimately, again, 80 hours a week in the hospital as a resident, you know, you have very little time. And that's part of the journey I talk about in the book is I went through this period where I was prioritizing different relationships and I was ignoring relationships. And to me, it gave me a lot of imbalance in my life. But what really kind of struck a nerve was I grew the business to over a million dollars in revenue and I actually brought on a business partner. And when I stepped away from the business, trying to get into fellowship and really kind of focusing on the healthcare world, I felt this little piece in me, like, 
man, like I'm not complete anymore. Like what's missing? And I realized after about six months that being an entrepreneur is actually part of me. And it was this self-actualization event that occurred that I decided to restructure my life personally. And so what turned out to be a full-time you know, resident and a part-time entrepreneur, I was really able to get a 50-50 life balance. Um, so I was able to find a job that allowed me to work at the hospital nights and weekends. And I was working, uh, growing the business you know, during the week. And that started in around 2015. So over the past six years, that's been the routine is kind of, I have a team of 17 employees now uh, in USA Staffing Services and Staffing Management Group. But in addition to that, I, I see patients on nights and weekends as a hospitalist. Uh, so I kind of found that, that balance, if you will. Yeah. You know, for a second, you, you brought up something interesting. So obviously the staffing industry, right? Um, lots of stuff going on right now, but obviously we're talking about healthcare. Yep. And, you know, um, I don't know if a lot of the folks that are watching out there today uh, recognize, but one of the hospitals in upstate New York actually had to shut down their labor and delivery unit because all of their nurses quit yeah. over the COVID mandate under I think the I executive saw that article. Order. I think that was in the other, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, and, and, and I do because you're a practicing physician, you're, you're a pediatrician. And I want to, I want to address from a healthcare provider's perspective, your thoughts on the executive order for mandating COVID vaccines. But we we could we could come back to that because I, I think, you know, the main thing that we want. Well, no, you know what? Why let's, wait? Right? Why wait. Let's, idea. let's just get it. Let's, let's dive right let's, into that. <laughs> let's let's do it right now. The floor is yours, Doc. Oh man! So uh, you, when you mix human capital management and you mix healthcare mandates like the vaccine mandate, you're really setting the economy up for a big challenge. Right now, there's more available jobs than there are people willing to work, and so we have this influx in. Um, workers or openings now that the economy is opening, but we don't have enough workers. Uh, and so right off the bat, we're at a deficit of employment, um, employee, employees, if you will. Uh, and so now when we're mandating the, the um, vaccine, I, you know, we're going to be setting ourselves up for failure. That's just on an economic standpoint, on a human capital management standpoint, I would say uh, a major shift occurred when it came to people interested in working. A lot of the customers saw the mandate and they wanted to really start enacting it right away. So from a staffing side, they said, okay, officially, you know, October 1st, you have to be vaccinated based on the executive order. Uh, and now nobody wants to apply for work anymore. <laughs> so from an economics, okay. from a human capital management alone, it's causing a lot of, of risk to the you know, sustainability of the economy. Uh, and, I, and, and I think that's a, a risk in of itself. Putting on the doctor hat, you know, I don't agree in, a, in a, a universal mandate for several reasons, but one of them is really, a, it always comes down for me as a risk benefit, risk versus benefit for the person, risk versus benefit for the family. And there's a sense of paternalism that, you know, I can take a little bit of paternalism when it comes to, uh, you know, certain aspects, but to mandate it for a vaccine where we've just shown that the risk versus benefit is, is just not sustainable for all ages. 
Now, 100% agree that maybe over the age of 50, like we do for Pneumovax, like we do for varicella, where the immune system is a little bit weaker and there's a higher risk of complications, 100% support it because of the risk versus benefit ratio. But in anybody who's under the age of 40 or 30 who is not immunocompromised, does not have any comorbidities, the risk versus benefit is just simply not there. There's actually a higher risk of a side effect of the vaccine potentially or other complications that we don't even know of yet. And so, you know, it's to me, it's about risk versus benefit. And, and if you do have those comorbidities, if you are immunocompromised, or I, what I tell a lot of people is if it will help you get back to work and you feel better, if you sleep better because you have it, or if you'll hug your grandma because you have the vaccine, get it. it there's a huge benefit there that outweighs the risk. Right. However, making a mandate for extremely healthy people, uh, you know, the risk versus benefit is, is I just don't see it. Yep. And, and again, I want to make sure that everybody understands that we're talking about this purely from a scientific standpoint. We're yes. talking about this from a physician's standpoint, his professional medical clinical opinion <laughs> as to, you know, his, you know, how he would counsel his patients. When and, and I'm, when I, I don't consider myself an anti-vaxxer, I just I just tell my patients there's a risk and there's a benefit to every decision, whether it's an antibiotic we put in your body, whether it's a steroid injection for back pain, whether it's um, you know you're trying um, to whatever it is enhance yourself. There's always a risk versus benefit in everything we do, yeah. and sometimes the risk and benefit are clearly defined, and sometimes they're not. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest backfires that's taken place with this whole vaccine issue is, you know, during the prior administration, you know, the the outcry was, you know, how dare you rush this through the process? You know, how dare you, you know, push the vaccine? And now all of a sudden there's a new administration and the new administration is, hey, let's get this vaccine. You know, we're going to mandate. And now all of a sudden. You know, and again, this is purely, look, I'm vaccinated. I'm not an anti-vaxxer in any way, shape, or form. I'm truly a middle of the road. And, and I try to encourage people, instead of listening to talking heads regurgitating something that they were told to say by yep. a producer or an executive director on a yep. show or, <laughs> you, know, some, you know, some shock jock who's out there just trying to, you know, capture, you know, the moment and make it viral. You know, what I'm trying to tell people is, you know, do your own independent research. You know, look at the various studies are, that are out there from Oxford, from Cambridge, from Harvard, from Yale, from Mayo Clinic, from Cleveland Clinic, from different groups around the country. Yeah. And, and, and make your own decision that's right for you. Obviously, you know, the, 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 the current administration has seemed to find a workaround by having it pushed through OSHA as an emergency, you know, uh, tied to a public health uh, situation where they can mandate it. But that's neither here nor there. I, yeah. I think to your point, you know, as a as a, a board certified internist and as a board certified pediatrician, your position is, look, if there's no comorbidities that exist, right, um, there's no underlying diabetes or hypertension or COPD or cancer or the patient's not morbidly obese or something that could 
lead to a higher risk of complication. You're saying, if it feels right for you, go ahead and do it. Absolutely. Okay. But at the same time, I don't agree with being forced to do it if it doesn't feel right for you. Um, you know, with that being said, uh, you know, uh, I think it was close to 95% of the current people in hospital are not vaccinated, but they're also, what they don't talk about is that they're typically all over the age of 80 as well. So, so you know, when I did my last shift, there wasn't a single person in the ICU that was under the age of 80 and none of them were vaccinated. So yeah. there is a correlation when you have that risk benefit ratio. Yeah. You know, I think the one thing that, that I keep on thinking about is really, you know, it, there's so many components to a risk analysis. We don't even know the, the risk in total, but at the same time, we do know that uh, over 96% of the deaths occur over the age of 50. And that's right. 18 or 20 months worth of data. And so when you have the vast majority of deaths occurring over the age of 50, um, why would we mandate it for everybody to get vaccinated instead of just appropriate age groups or high-risk people? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and, and I will tell you, I actually live in a small town uh, outside of Atlanta. I'm about an hour and... Uh, about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes southwest. So okay. I'm just above Columbus, Georgia, and just sure. to the uh, east of Auburn, Alabama. And, you know, here, you know, we do have an elder population, but we actually also have a young population. We have people in their 30s. We have people in their 40s uh, that have contracted it. Again, some of them were unvaccinated, but some of them were vaccinated. But some of these younger individuals also had significant, you know, yes. comorbidities. Yeah. And, you know, I think those are, to your point, the things that have to be taken into consideration. Sure. Again, yeah, from my perspective, I'm not here telling somebody to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. I'm not saying the right side of the aisle or the left side of the aisle is right. What I'm saying is do your own independent research. Look at the unbiased studies that are out there. and make your own determination. Again, yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to be talking tomorrow with Ron Chapman uh, of the Chapman Law Group on our podcast. Uh, we're doing a whole breakdown of the executive order. Um, you know, you're going to hear from a Supreme Court attorney um, just what his thoughts are on the legal challenges that lie ahead. Uh, obviously, there was uh, legal precedent set by the Supreme Court back in 1905 in Jacobson versus Massachusetts based on the 14th Amendment and due process. There was also a case, um, uh, I think it's, and I may get it wrong, it's Zucked, I think it's Zucked or Zurk uh, v. King in 1922 uh, that also um, was based on the state uh, overruling local and local enforcement and they were both tied to the smallpox vaccine but okay. i think there's yeah i think there's going to be some interesting challenges um you know i was i was just reading today as a matter of fact new york state uh this one was actually really really um interesting and i don't know if you um saw this at all um but the state of new york actually came out and said we are going against New York City 
and we're going against the federal government where they actually said you have a choice to either get vaccinated or submit to weekly vaccines. And the state of New York actually said, absolutely not. No, no, um, no religious exemptions, only medical exemptions, but they have to be very well documented and they have to be issued by a board certified physician with the requisite skills to do so. But we are not allowing for the weekly testing. I, and, and there's been some, outrage to that in New York City. I, I saw some protests that were pretty wild taking really? place yesterday and today. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I think there's going to, you know, I think it's just kind of settling in. I think a lot of people that I speak with in staffing and recruiting don't really know how to interpret it yet because it's, you know, it's out there, but will it actually get enacted and how would they have how would they even enforce it? You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of barriers to it. I, I understand you know, like I said, I understand the the idea behind it, but at the same time, I don't agree with with forcing it. But we'll see well, how it actually shakes out. We'll see how it shakes out. So, okay, so we didn't wait. We had that conversation. I'm really glad we did, and and you know, we'll we'll see what people think about it. Again, yeah. make the right decision you know, for com- you. Are those comments on? Is anyone commenting? <laughs> yeah, I think people. You know, I think people were afraid to comment at this point right now. But who knows? We we, we you know. Usually, most of our comments come after the show when people uh, are watching the recorded version. So let, let's get back to the, 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 the main reason why I had you on the show. So I know that you live in Tampa, Florida. Yes. Okay. Uh, love Tampa. Uh, we actually have an office down there as well. That's where Frank Cohen, our statistician, is based. And, you know, one of the things that I think is, is really interesting is you start to talk about um, your relocation to Tampa, Florida. And that becoming a turning point in your yeah. career, in your life. Can mm-hmm. you can you talk about that? Yeah. So in 2014, when I was finishing up residency, uh, I made that commitment to actually go into a fellowship program for pediatric pulmonary because all my research was in cystic fibrosis and transitionary care uh, within the cystic fibrosis um, program. But that nag was there, and I never identified myself as an entrepreneur until I sold that part of the business and stepped away, focusing on being a doctor. I knew I loved patient care. I knew I loved and I was good at taking care of patients, getting them through hard times. I loved that part, but I didn't anticipate loving being an entrepreneur or actually identifying as an entrepreneur uh, at that point in my life. And so after starting fellowship, it was kind of one of those things that got a little bit you know, deeper and brighter and clar- clarified over a couple of months. Uh, and so I made that decision to leave the fellowship in January 2015. Um, so I did complete the rest of the year, but I did not you know, finalize my training. Uh, and that was kind of a big step because, you know, as anybody you know, who has parents knows that when you're uh, in that process, but you're not quite a doctor yet. They, st- you know, are you a doctor? Are you not? Are you taking care of patients? Right. Are you, you're in residency, so you have like a supervisor. Anyway, nobody really knows where I was. But when I told them that I was, you know, going to to go back into the business and I'll I'll find a way to to find balance, you know, it was a tough thing. So not only was I going against my family expectations, but also culturally, what do you do when you finish residency and you you've worked four years in undergrad, four years in medical school. I did four years of residency and now I'm just, you know, kind of turning away and really embracing being an entrepreneur. Right. I knew I would figure it out. 
Uh, and right away, I started to, to find ways and I found a nocturnist program where I can benefit the hospital. I can benefit the nighttime. I can do the hospital shifts at night and weekends. But that was kind of like a, wow, I can figure this out. I can bring balance to my life. And once you make that decision, once you lean into what's really pulling at your heart, you'll find ways to make things better. And actually the relationships dramatically improved, you know, Work, passion, life are based on three types of relationships. Work relationships, is, to me, is those selfless relationships where you're giving more than you're taking. You're giving to your boss. Maybe you're giving more to your kids, but you're not receiving the love back from your kids. Any, or you're working on a relationship. You use that term work when you're selflessly giving more than what you're receiving in return. Just a deficit of energy, deficit of emotion. Life to me is those mutually beneficial relationships where you give and take. Sometimes you need to take a little bit more. Sometimes you can give a little bit more, but those relationships in life are needed to kind of bring balance. The thing about what most people are missing is the, the third one, which is the passion. And, and I call that a relationship with yourself. What do you do by yourself that has no bearing on anybody else except for you? And you have to understand that that is actually needed to fill you up. It's 100% selfish. And when you balance the three, you get a better life satisfaction. And so in the book and in the diagrams, I have a Venn diagram. And the more you can overlap the circles, you create you know, more of those relationships that are both work relationships that you enjoy being around or work relationships that you have common passions. The more you can build those zones of efficiency, the naturally your life gets better, your life satisfaction gets better. And so it's a philosophy on life more than anything else. And that turning point that you were kind of getting at really occurred when I leaned into the fact that, hey, I'm going to identify as an entrepreneur and a doctor, and I'll make this work. Well, six years later, I'm still making it work. I love my life. It's, you know, it didn't magically turn all better, but I was able to rebuild relationships that I kind of shunned away from. I was able to reconnect with family that I maybe didn't talk to as much during those times. And I was able to find a new life with a, a, a wonderful wife and two wonderful kids. Um, but it wasn't, it, that was the turning point and it was still a journey after that. And I'm really happy right now. I, I think I'm maximizing my life satisfaction by keeping the balance, but also, kind of just leaning into what's really pulling at you. I think that's so awesome. And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, our firm really, you know, doctors management really tries to do is to empower physicians to take control of their work and their life and to find that balance and to find what it is that provides some gratification for you. Is it the patient care? Is it the being an entrepreneur and running your own business? Because I don't know if you're seeing this, but we're definitely seeing this. Um, the number of physicians that are actually walking away from hospital networks and health systems wanting to go back into or go into private practice for yeah. the very first time, yeah. um, we are overwhelmed with the number of startups That's that uh, uh, physicians are looking for. So, if you could give one message, because I, I, you know, I, I want to move into your audacious goals about, <laughs> about transformation of healthcare, because 
and, and, and I know I'm trying to, you know, you know, throw a spark behind it, but you know, I, I believe in what you're talking about. I do. Um, I have obviously some questions and, and, and I think there's going to be some great information that you're going to be able to provide to hopefully clear up some of the things that are burning in the back of my mind. Right. And, and, and it's not because I'm questioning, you know, your process or your methodologies or, or what you're, you're putting out there as a philosophy. It's what is the practical application? Because that's going to be the number one question mm-hmm. that lifelong collegians like yourself, right? Physicians, you guys are academics. You guys are lifelong learners, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you talked about just the fact of 12 years of education to be able to get to the point of really being a doctor, right? Without a yeah. supervisor. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't mean to air quote doctor. You're right. You're right. <laughs> But in attending, I, uh, to be an attending, yeah. to be an attending. Thank you. This this is why I get myself in trouble all the time. Um, but you know, I, what is what is the one what is the one message that you could get if I if I brought you into a room of a hundred physicians that were saying, you know, Doc, I'm in the same position that you were in prior to 2015. I'm burning out. Mm -hmm. I'm losing my personal relationships. Mm -hmm. A lot of my professional relationships are struggling. What, what could I do right now to emulate what you did to get me on that track of finding balance and restoring the passion that I once had to get me into being a physician? So one of the greatest thing about the philosophy is that you can actually do multiple things in terms of maximizing your life satisfaction. So what I typically on these type of speeches where I give in front of a a crowd of either physicians or maybe it's a group of employees is really is we do an exercise where we list out the 50 most recent people you had interaction with and where do they fall on the Venn diagram? Are they strictly work? Are they strictly life or, or are they combinations of the between? And so the, the answer isn't trying to be happy at work. The answer is what makes you happy and can you build in time for that? So between the time of 2002 to 2012, there was a mass exodus from private practice to the hospital. And I believe that doctors are naturally entrepreneurial. But even if you're not an entrepreneurial, if entrepreneur, if you love to garden, I use this example a lot. If you love to garden, uh, and you're not a doctor, let's say you're just uh, an accountant, uh, and you love to garden, you could be miserable at an accounting job, or you can find other people who love gardening and do some things to fill you up, or you can actually work as an accountant at a gardening shop, right? Or you can work as an accountant in Menards or Home Depot, where you can have a, a re- meaningful relationships with people who share your same interests. And so the accounting isn't the problem. It's where are you working and what do you do outside of work that makes the problem? When we went into COVID, there was, uh, and I didn't want, uh, my, uh, my publisher wanted me to hold off on releasing the book. And I said, there's going to be a problem because when people don't have to go to work and they can work from home, when people don't have the distractions of going out to bars and going out to eat, what is left and what's left is the relationship with themselves and what happened very predictably is that people were looking in the mirror and they didn't know who they were 
they didn't know what they can do by themselves to bring joy you know, to them. And so if they knew that going into COVID, they would, should be celebrating, right? You no, know, I don't have to go to work today. I can actually garden all day and I'm going to watch YouTube videos on gardening and I'm going to go in and I'm going to try new fruits and vegetables and new methods of gardening, whatever that is. Um, and it could be anything from, you know, making furniture. It could be uh, gardening, like I mentioned. It could be video games, whatever that is. You just have to say it out loud. And so in the seminars and, and trainings I do, I actually make people say it out loud. What is it that you can do by yourself that does not require anybody else? That's, I consider a selfish relationship and that's okay. It's okay to be a little bit selfish. All caregivers, all healthcare providers, we uh, love what we do, but it's a give, give, give relationship. And we're going to see really mass burnouts from nurses and physicians. And then on top of it, you know, if you're, if you're adding some mandates to be employed, you know, for them, it could be some of those things that push them out. Um, I know about 35% of nurses are still, you know, not necessarily fully vaccinated. And so we'll see what happens come, you know, October, November. But ultimately, yeah. if you if you only give and you never replenish your energy, you never replenish yourself, that's where we see burnout. So I would challenge a group of physicians is to just say, yes, you're a doctor and you're probably one of the best doctors around, but what do you do for yourself by yourself? Right. And let's talk about that. And, and maybe it's real estate, maybe it's running a side business that gets you charged up and energized then lean into it. You don't have to give up your practice. Like I didn't have to give up my practice. It was just make it work. And so um, I, I challenge people to really say it out loud. And once you start saying it out loud, you start thinking about it more like, well, maybe I don't need to pick up an extra shift. Maybe I can do this activity instead. And so it's about treating yourself like you would treat your patients, which is just giving yourself the time to recognize what fills you up with energy. Yeah. You know, uh, listening to you, you know, talking, you know, through that just now, you know, it made me actually reflect on, you know, where I was. Um, so, you know, I, those who know me, you know, I, I traveled uh, throughout my, you know, 26 year career in healthcare uh, for probably 24 of the 26 years. I traveled to the point where I made diamond on Delta every single year. I'm a 2 million miler. So I was always on the road, you know, I'm lifetime titanium with Marriott and diamond with Hilton and all these things. And when COVID hit, it shut me down, right? Because I'm used to being in hospitals, health systems, physician group practices, in courtrooms. Um, and now all of a sudden that was all being stripped away from me. And, you know, I remember sitting there and, and thinking to myself, holy crap, what am I going to do now? And I started having to, for the first few days, um, and, and I'm one of the fortunate ones, I will tell you this right out of the gate. But for the first few days, I, I was really starting to think I was getting clinically depressed because I was like, oh my God, you know, what, yeah, what am, what am I going to do? Oh my, I'm used to running through the airport with my hair on fire and you know and 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 for everybody who says why do you always wear a hat are you bald no i actually have a head of hair <laughs> <I've heard> <laughs> um but i do want to thank uh hooey uh cowboy gear uh but you know here's the thing um 
you know, but then then all of a sudden, my name became synonymous with we need policies on COVID. Could you help us disseminate what's coming out from the CDC? Can you help us with the NIH? And then it was, can you sit on this governor's task force to help advise on, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three of opening up hospitals when it's time and elective surgeries and those kind of things. So I became very fortunate, but I will tell you, I worked harder in 2020 sitting at home at a desk than I ever worked in the previous 24 years running through airports because I looked at that. And for me, that was fun. That was my passion, right? Going in, you know, being this guy who's here to help, you know, fix our problems, write, you know, policies, develop corrective action plans, argue with the government on all the reasons why what we did was right and why the government's wrong. (laughs) You know, well, the government has a saying, right? It's their philosophy. Close enough is good enough. So, um, you know, but to your point, I, I, I really do think people need to take a moment, take a deep breath, and reflect on what it was that got them into whatever the career choice was that they made and figure out where along the way that they started to burn out or they started to lose that passion and find what it is that they that got them so excited about being a nurse, being a doctor, being an administrator, being a coder, a biller, a compliance officer, being a plumber, being a carpenter, being a gardener. Yeah. And exactly. and, and reconnect with that and find yeah. that passion. Yeah. And it's really just and it's and you have to be honest with yourself. You know, that it's so easy to just lie or be distracted by social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, posting this and that and going out to bars and just life gets so busy. And when you actually take a minute to just say, what do I like? Uh, you know, who am I really in many cases? So um, I'm with you. I agree. And I think people, you know, and, and that's the one thing, you know, as much as the millennials drive me crazy. And, and I can say that because I've got three kids that are in their 20s. Well, my oldest daughter is 30 years old. But what I will tell you is, you know, the, the shift that I've seen in the younger generation of physicians that are coming out of school is that they're less interested in working the way that their predecessors did. Yes. They're less interested in making the kind of money that their predecessors did. And they're looking for more of a work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, part of, you know, that's the one thing that I look at and I have a lot of respect for people that are trying to find that work balance. Because for me in my younger career, you know, when I first came out of school and I started my job in my twenties, you know, it was a rat race, man. It was about, I want to run as hard as I can, as fast as I can for as long as I can. So that when I turn 50, I can, you know, find that, you know, that, that little slice of heaven. And then I met my wife and I realized that I was going to be working until I was dead. And then beyond. No, you're supposed to say you found the slice of heaven early. That's what you're supposed to say. Well, I, listen, I did find that slice of heaven and, and, and I know my wife watches this show um, and, and, and she knows how much I love her and, and, and I appreciate everything she does, but she, she's, she's, you're absolutely right though, you yeah. know, and, and when we, when you graduate college at 21 or 22 and you have eight more years of 
training to go med school and residency, you're 30. And so there's that ultimate pressure. And in today's um, society, the interest rates on student loans are just so high. And they've been accruing since, you know, forever, since your first day of medical school, six, eight, 10% interest on accrual that for eight years, you can't touch, you can't pay back. And so now it's a double whammy. You feel pressure for, you know, to start a family, to start your life, to buy a house, but then there's this also pressure of the interest and the loans. And so that's really where, you know, this re-engineering of the business of healthcare really comes into play is yeah. you got to start, you know, down up, down, you know, burn everything down and build up from the beginning because yeah. right, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And, uh, and so then there's a pressure to work more or become a hospitalist. Uh, and, and only, and pick up, I know some hospitals that work 24 days, 12 hour days, 24 shifts a month because they feel that pressure to pay back loans and to be successful. They need certain things, but you know, they're going to burn out faster and they're really not taking care of themselves the way they, they should be. Yep. So that, I think that's a great transition and segue into what I think, you know, for the last part of our time together that we have, I really want to talk about your mission tied to re-engineering. And I want to talk about, um, you know, the, I want to talk about um, business performance, right? I think that's the acronym you use, BPR. Well, in general, that's part of re-engineering, yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about that because there's a couple of things that I thought were really interesting that I was reading in your book. And, and one of the things that if I'm getting this right, that you, you stress is that BPR should not be considered downsizing, restructuring, reorganizing, or new technology, right? And I think that's where maybe I cross-threaded with the five components of the business yeah. strategy, process, technology, organization, and culture. But yeah. I want to talk about your goal because I think it's a really lofty goal, but I think it's a goal that's worthwhile because as they always say, you know, n- nothing great comes without hard, hard work and sacrifice. So I'm really interested to, to understand where you're trying to go with this. So if you could define re-engineering and BPR and, and how this all ties together, I think- sure. That would yeah. be great. No, and this is something I love to do. So when you talk about passion and what brings me like a lot of fire and energy, I could talk about this all day. So if you have another hour, I can keep going. <laughs> but, but I'll you know, spend all day with you, Doc. Since 2006, I've been running my own business. And then in 2010, we started to run the back office of other staffing firms. And so for the last 11 years, under Staffing Management Group and USA Staffing Services, we've been optimizing human capital management companies, staffing and recruitment firms throughout all 50 states and all the industries. And so after so many years of seeing what works and what doesn't work, I started to think, well, if we can optimize and grow staffing firms, which is people business, how come we are not working on the business of healthcare? And so I really dove down deep, especially in 2020, but you know, when I had downtime, I was thinking, how can I make healthcare better? How can I make one little dent in in the next 20 years? And it really came down to, we have to have conversations about re-engineering the business of healthcare. And uh, those categories, as you mentioned, involve things like what is your organizational structure, the culture, the strategy, the process, and technology, but it's more than that. So we talk about physician burnout. That's a culture issue. That's an organization issue. And that's probably a process issue because... Physicians 
are great at providing care, but we don't necessarily need to write a seven paragraph assessment and plan to get the level of billing that the hospital thinks it should be. Uh, and so the hospital has goals of maximizing billing, but the provider has goals of providing care. So it's about meshing that together. And what are the different ideas thinking outside the box? A lot of times reengineering is just breaking it down into the simple parts and rebuilding it back up in a way that's maybe a little bit more efficient or a little bit more effective, but in the end provides significantly better results. And so from a healthcare strategy standpoint, from a healthcare technology, we're moving in the right direction, but just like every social media and technology, now physicians are, you know, have uh, electronic medical record on their phone 24-7. And so, you know, nurses are and healthcare providers are able to connect with each other all the time. And, and you have to really concentrate on disconnecting um, from that. So when it comes to the business of healthcare, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was onto something. I was like, well, what does the system look like? How long has it been in this figure in this current concept of a health plan and insurance and hospitals paying physicians and vice versa. And, you know, how is, how long has this been going on for? Okay. It's been a while. What changes has there been in the last 50 years? Not much since Medicare was created. And so it's really about let's have conversations and let's find ways to make a dent, to make the patient, the center of the attention instead of the healthcare mandates of the insurance plan or the hospital requirements to document that you ask them how many partners they've had or where do they, you know, do they currently smoke tobacco, even though they're here for a foot injury, you know, those things, if you don't ask that one question, the insurance company doesn't downgrades it from a five to a two. Uh, And it's, it's not, you're not providing any different care. And so I think we just have to have conversations about this and just have it in the open. Cause I think right now it, nobody wants to talk about it because not many people really understand it. And I think that there's ways in the 21st century in 2021 to really think about it in a more efficient and effective way. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. There's a new, there's an, it's not really new, but it's a newer concept called direct primary care. And it is a thought process, a rationale. And there's actually, believe it or not, there's an HR bill, and I believe there's a Senate bill as well. Hmm. And it is providers who are saying payment for services should not be determined based on actuaries, right? It should not be based on what some non-clinical, you know, nothing against bow ties, but non-clinical bow tie wearing accountant (laughs) who doesn't understand patient care is making a determination as to what is the value of the service that I provided to the patient. So some people say, well, how's that any different than concierge? Well, there is a difference because concierge, you know, takes one certain approach versus direct primary care, which takes another. So Anyways, you know, because as I was listening to you talking, you know, obviously I, I started thinking about some of the alternative, you know, yeah. that that come into play. And and you were talking about MIPS, right, for an example, whereby, you know, if you're not asking certain questions based on your taxonomy, right, your specialty code, yeah. um, do you smoke? How many sexual partners have you had? Do you consume alcohol? Do you ride a horse? Do you skydive? <laughs> Whatever it is, right? Right. 
those impact your quality scores. They could impact your bonuses. Now, obviously, you know, people because of COVID had the right to apply for an extension and they didn't have to deal with MACRA or, Mac or MIPS or whatever in 2021. But still, it's not going away. And to your point, I think the re-engineering is, is a perfect term for where our broken health system currently is. And yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to just think about it in terms of, you know, now that we have great technology, are we using it appropriately or are, are we using it as a defense mechanism not to pay the in, not to pay bills or not to reimburse hospitals? You know, now that we have strategy to maximize the care of patients, are we using it in the right way? Is it really patient-centered or is it for the benefit of a provider or a hospital or the insurance company? You know, there's enough money in the system that we should have, you know, amazing health care. Uh, we just have to really figure out how to make it work better and, and more efficiently. And, and it, you know, it starts with just having discussions. And when you have the discussions and, and you create a culture where you can have those discussions and put the patient first, then we can really kind of redesign it. And, you know, I was having a discussion this weekend, you know, healthcare is one of those, um, insurance plans where it's it's really sits in front between the provider and the patient it's it's really nudged in there pretty good and uh you know even what medicine the patient is allowed to take or covered on their 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 plan or what tests are available in a specific hospital based on you know a lot of variables but what about the idea of putting the insurance just a little bit further out so that the doctor and the patient can have a little bit more autonomy trusting, like you said, direct care, like, okay, I, I visit, it's $100. Okay. I understand that. Give me the best care possible for that $100 or whatever that cost is. I think there's an option there. And I think, um, I think it's reasonable um, to have it so that the patient can have an option to maybe pay for a high deductible health insurance plan in case they do have that heart attack and they need to go to the hospital, but they have the mixed, like a hybrid model is just one example of how we can just have conversations to figure out what's next, you know. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's the, the best point that you know we could make is that there needs to be a dialogue. There needs to be these conversations that are taking place. You know, there's a study, and we were talking about this on my other podcast, uh, Coffee Compliance and Chuckleheads, and you know, the United States ranks number eight behind seven other first world countries in our healthcare. That's concerning. And what was that? How much do we spend? Is it a number one or two? We are number, we are number one in the, yeah. in, out of all first world countries, you know, just looking, I think the example that we were looking at on the show was um, a C-section in the yeah. United States. A C-section is $15,000. The, the, the next closest one to us, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was Great Britain, and it was like $8,000, and Australia was like $3,400 or somewhere yeah. in, but, you know, we, for, like, when I look at it, we actually rank behind, and we weren't even close, like, the Netherlands and places like that, we actually ranked behind, the, I think Netherlands was number one for healthcare. Mm. But we outrank them in the cost to render that care. Yeah. It just seems like something's not right, you know, and there's maybe, 
just ways to to lower the costs or just get you know remove some of the you know whoever controls cash flow i one of the one, number one business i learned is cash flow is king and whoever controls yep. the cash flow is the king uh, yep. and in this case you know is it right that the cash flow is going to the insurance companies who then decides on their bonus whether they pay out or not there's a lot of things that just are questions uh, and I want to just encourage questions and discussions and yep. let's think of ways to do it, you know, and it's going to be a struggle. And I think after 20 years, if I could just make one, one small change, I will, I will consider that my mission accomplished strategy and I can then, you know, go on my next mission, which I don't know what that will be yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'll be coming down the pike. Well, Dr. Kalinske, this has been nothing short of an absolute pleasure, getting an opportunity to spend time having this conversation with you. Uh, honestly, I feel like I've known you for at least 10 years, maybe even more. Um, you're really a great guy, and, and I think your mission is um, one that is, is noteworthy and something that folks need to actually pay attention to. I really want to encourage people to go out and and, and take a look and um, get a hold of Dr. Kalinske's book, Work, Passion, Life, Balance. Um, I enjoyed the book. I'm hoping since, you know, I, I had to do the Kindle version, I'm hoping one of these days I'll get a, a, a signed book saying, hey, thanks, buddy. Right um, over. <laughs> um, but again, I want to say thank you so much for joining the podcast today, Dr. Kalinske. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I think our viewers are going to really um, uh, have a lot of positive uh, comments and things to say about this program today, more about you than about me, because that's usually how it goes. Um, but thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. We just had the great conversations. Absolutely. All right. So for all of our viewers and all of our listeners, uh, I want to, again, say thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day to tune in and uh, live stream with us or find us on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, really great. We've been looking at our numbers, even though the Compliance Guy show is only about four, four and a half months old. Uh, we are up over 35,000 viewers, and I want to say thank you to all of you who are finding us on Spotify, Twitch, Apple, Amazon, and more than 80 podcast platforms. Those of you who are watching us on LinkedIn Live, Facebook Live, and YouTube, again, thank you. And I want to say, as always, be good to yourself, but more importantly, be good to each other. My name's Sean Weiss, and I promise I will try to do better next time. But until then, take care. <laughs>